Here's your opportunity to listen and learn from the most successful people driving growth and success in Palm Beach County and beyond. Welcome to the Business in Paradise Palm Beach podcast with Carrie Stamp, founder of Carrie Stamp and Company, Principled Wealth Advisors. Carrie and his guests share stories and insights from Palm Beach County's most successful executives, entrepreneurs, and community leaders. Learn how they made it to where they are today, what principles guide them, how they mentor others to achieve success, and more. Welcome to the Business in Paradise podcast. This is Carrie Stamp. I'm your host. And I've got a guest that's really exciting today. We have the CEO of a South Florida and Tulsa, Oklahoma dual headquartered technology company called True Digital Security. True Digital is in both the IT, security, and compliance space for companies that need digital security and technology. The CEO is Rory Sanchez, and he's with me today. Rory, welcome to the Business in Paradise podcast. Thanks, Kerry. Good to be here. You've been with True Digital. This is kind of a company that you put together over a number of years with several different organizations kind of merging together. I think you've explained that to me. Tell our listeners a little bit about where you are today, who you are, and then we'll delve into it a little bit later kind of some more of the specifics of True Digital. Yeah, you you got it right. I'm the CEO of True Digital Security. You know, this sort of came from years of identifying that technology had gotten pretty good, almost too good. It's it's super easy to lock up your house, right? It's, it's you know, you, you lock the door and if you don't feel good about locking the door, you, you know, you get an alarm system, maybe you get a dog, maybe you put a fence in the yard. There's all kinds of things you can do and and you're sort of limited to who can break in. They've got to be near your house. As technology got better and better, you know, the the bad guys are everywhere. And, you know, they're trying to break in from wherever it is that they happen to be. We've heard about hackers in, you know, Russia and China and Romania and wherever else. Identifying that that was a big issue, we started kind of taking deep dives into, into IT security a while back. It, so approximately when did you get involved with True Digital? I started in the sort of, uh, you know, let's call it the computer business back in the late 80s. We acquired a company called SL Powers that was here in West Palm Beach. I ran SL Powers for many years from 2000 until 2018. And in 2018, we combined SL Powers with a company uh, that was out of Tulsa, Oklahoma called True Digital Security. Okay. And so was SL Powers in the same space or did they have a different product offering? So we were a managed IT company. We mostly did IT management for a small and medium business. And we we did a lot of IT security, but I was sort of out looking for some, some pure play, heavy duty IT security guys. I have a great story that I can tell you about when I met with, uh, with Jerry, who I think you're going to be doing a, a a tech talk with. We have a tech talk lined up with Jerry sometime within the next few weeks with uh, what is now called Tech Hub South Florida. Tech Hub South Florida. So Jerry is the founder of True Digital Security, and this was a pure play security firm, right? So they did validation and testing, security consulting, but they they didn't turn the screws per se. If you needed something done, they were like, well, we'll tell you what you need done. Go out and get it done. And when you're done, you'll come back and we'll, we'll test and validate what was done. We were a lot more of a turn to screws kind of company. And we were looking for those, you know, the, the serious security guys. And 
and true head folks that are, you know, government trained, military trained, you know, former NSA guys, Jerry's a PhD in computer engineering. And when I met them, uh, when I met Jerry, I said, Hey, you know, I, I want to talk to you about what you do. And, and he said, what do you do? I said, we're an IT company. And his first words were, I hate IT guys. And we've kind of been best friends ever since, right? Because I said, I bet the reason you hate IT guys is the reason I'm looking for like a real security company. You knew it was a marriage. As soon as he said, I hate IT guys, that's always the lead in line. uh, When somebody says to me, I hate financial guys or I hate investment guys, I know that they really love me. Exactly. uh, they, They don't like me because they don't understand what I do or they don't want to do what I do. In, in many cases. You put this company together. Now, tell us what it looks like today. There's headquarters in West Palm, and there's folks in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Are there clients all over the country? What's the business like? Yeah, we also have an office uh, in Long Island in Hophog, but the, the headquarters are, you know, really kind of headquartered West Palm and Tulsa, Oklahoma. And we're, we're definitely a national company. We have, we have clients uh, everywhere. Maybe not in every state, but I think last I heard we were doing business in about 11 or 12 states. What we do is uh, the best way to explain it. And, you know, we were just recently going over this because, you know, we're tech guys are never great marketers. So we have a a couple of great marketing people with us now to kind of help us figure out, you know, what we're doing and how to communicate it to others. A lot of people keep IT security and compliance sort of in silos and, you know, and, and high level, it sort of looks like you've got three soccer games going and you've got to really win at all three in order to, to call it a win. And what we like to say is, we, you know, we're, we're sort of taking those three and, and, and we're, we're going to play them all on one soccer field that we can more easily manage and manage those wins. So when you're, when you're in IT, when you're security and, and you're in compliance, we have some lead products and some lead offerings that sort of it's the goalie right it, it stops the bad guys from scoring you can't you can't really build out the rest of your team while the bad guys are scoring on you so in each of those areas we have something that we're like hey we put this in this gets us some control over the situation right away and then we can help build out the rest of that field so essentially we help companies mid-market companies to sort of build their security programs and they actually will outsource to us whatever pieces they don't necessarily want to do themselves in-house. Well, Rory, that's a great point. So we often talk in the financial business when we're dealing with a client and advising them about different silos. If you put a team together, instead of uh, putting your advisors into silos, you get much, much better results. So as a financial advisor, I'm always working with the accountant on their tax issues and the estate planning attorney on the trust and estate issues. Whereas if those people are not talking to each other and they don't have the ability to work together, the outcomes that you get generally are, are way, way lower than uh, what that client is truly entitled to. So I totally get the analogy of putting, and, and I love the soccer team analogy, and I think I'm going to steal that one from you. What's a typical client look like for you? We seem to have a lot of success with tech companies in regulated space. Being a tech company, we kind of get tech companies, and we find that a lot of tech companies are really focused on their solution. They're trying to bring value to their clients, 
with whatever solution it is that that they have to offer. But we all know that you know every, you know we're all bad at at taking care of ourselves and and sort of drinking drinking our own Kool Aid, so to speak. What we have found is that uh, a lot of tech companies, and when I say when I say tech companies in a regulated space, we're talking about health tech companies, energy tech companies, fintech companies. There, there's lots of regulations. They're they're coming down the road. There's audits, compliance. We drive uh, mathematician guys crazy when we say this sometimes that compliance does not always equal equal security, but security equals compliance. I had a guy, we said that one time, the guy's like, excuse me, you, you can't use the equal sign because, you know, as a, as a math guy, I know that equal means both sides are equals. You can't just move things around. So now, now we use an arrow, right? <laughs> and we're like, we get it, right? Compliance does not always point to get you security, but security, you know, if, if you're secure, I can guarantee you that, that you're going to be compliant. If, if there's companies that are, that are in that tech space and they've got, you know, they've got investors, they've got client data, uh, lots of things that, that, that need to be protected. That's, that's an area where we have seen investors in tech companies. They don't want the company sort of watching their own hen house per se. That's usually where we come in and we make sure that that they're secure and and ready for any kind of compliance audits and help the investors sleep well at night. All right. And you described your first meeting with Jerry or one of your first meetings with Jerry when he said, uh, uh, I don't like IT guys. You had to put together two companies that probably had different cultures were truly even located in uh, different parts of the country. I mean, I would, uh, and you you described, uh, you know, kind of the Oklahoma persona, I guess is the best word to uh, to describe it. How was that, putting together a Florida company with an Oklahoma company that had these two different cultures, and what were the challenges? So it was significantly better than when we had tried something similar with a North Carolina company, over the years, we've we've done some some smaller you know mergers and acquisitions, and I'm a big believer today that you know you nailed it on the head, right? It's the it's the culture clash that's going to get you. It's uh, you know people who maybe don't have a similar work ethic or or don't don't see eye to eye on things. This this was this was significantly better because we had gone down similar roads in the past with with maybe not as great a success. But uh, also, we uh, we were sort of dating for a long time before we actually put the companies together. That meeting happened probably about three years before we decided to put the companies together. And what came from that meeting was, uh, you know, he said, you know, one of the reasons I, I hate IT guys because they think they do what we do. Whenever I go to a company and I say, who is handling your security? They say, my IT guys. And we say, well, who's keeping them safe? And, and I, I said, well, Jerry, what's, what's the answer to that? And he said, well, you should be SOC 2. I'm like, what is SOC 2? He said, service organizational controls, right? You, you have controls in place, and a CPA firm comes in and audits and, and certifies that you've provided evidence that you actually have all of these controls in place, and you're doing what you say you're doing. I said, how do I get to be SOC 2? He goes, well, you hire my company. We'll help you be ready for a SOC 2 audit. And I said, let's do it because that's what we want. We want our house in order. And then, you know, we want to partner up with a company like yours. The folks in Oklahoma are great. I, I love t- 
Tulsa. I love that town. Uh, it's it's become a little bit of a second home before the uh, before the pandemic. I was probably spending about one week a month up in Tulsa, and uh, it's a great place. They of course love coming to Florida because we have the beaches, we have the sunshine year round. It's been a good connection, and I think it was just really good people on both sides. We had very little uh, attrition, very little um, you know sort of internal conflicts. So it's it's almost like a Dr. Seuss book. He's sock one and you're sock two. I love exactly. it. Exactly. So Rory, if if you were to talk about some of the threats, okay, I have a business, I have a financial business, so my security and my IT <laughs> has to be top notch, and it is. But if you were a uh, business that uh, really wanted to beef up your cybersecurity to make sure that you were okay, what are some things that you should do? And what are some things that you should watch out for? Because I can't um, I can't tell you how many phishing emails that uh, we get and things that my assistant will call me and she'll say, "Hey, you really want me to go get you those gift cards?" And it'll it obviously I never asked her to get the gift cards, but somebody did, and they wanted her to go to CVS, and and I was in a meeting right now, so I couldn't take her calls. Get the gift cards and come back and scratch off the number and give me the number. Those things happen all the time. What do you see in uh, business? The backside to this is now I I can't get anyone to go get me gift cards. So when I need gift cards, they're like, no, I'm not getting you any gift cards. That's That's been a byproduct of this is you and I can't send someone to get us gift cards anymore. Phishing is the number one attack out there. We love to believe that cybersecurity is some super hacker guy with a hoodie in a room somewhere. And some of that stuff is absolutely going on. When you hear about some of these big hacks that, you know, someone got into a government installation or, you know, big things like that going on, there's absolutely hackathons where we see these hackers that in 20 minutes get through some high security that is it has taken some people a long time to design and and prevent but phishing continues to be the number one thing right we say it is it's almost always we, we say it's 100% effective because if you email everyone at a company and there's 100 people in that company inadvertently one of them is going to take the bait, right? Somebody's going to click on something that they shouldn't click on. User education. I've thrown out a lot of Jerryisms here today, but one of Jerry's things is, and I think this is going to be part of this talk, is security is a team sport. It absolutely is. Everybody needs to be vigilant and and say, hey, you know, the security of the company is somewhat in in my hands. Never. I just had a discussion with someone on a on a real estate closing, and I said, hey. Never, ever wire money anywhere based on something that you got in an email. When that arrives, you have to call the number, not the number on the piece of paper that you just got via email. Call the person you're doing a transaction with and say, hey, I'm verifying these numbers. We have absolutely seen it. You know, the, the bad guys will be, if they get in, they're watching your email. If you're a title company, if you're somebody who who transfers money around, they're watching the emails and they're waiting for the right time to send an email as you on your letterhead from your email account. It looks and acts just like you and, and somebody who doesn't check up on it, you know, will inadvertently end up 
wire wire transferring, buying gift cards, any any of those things. Absolutely. If you were uh, a consumer and you felt like your password had been compromised or something, or that uh, you thought that there was a, a threat to one of your investment or bank accounts, would you go to some of the credit agencies and freeze your credit file so people couldn't pull that information or get access to that? Should we be afraid that our social security numbers and other financial information are out there on this crazy thing that everybody calls the dark web, which I have no idea how to get onto? You know, it's funny that the, we talk about the dark web and I'm like, you know, the, the dark web is so dark that it's not actually a thing, right? There's like, it's not something you can log on to. That's something I was talking about one time. I'm like, the, the here's the reality of the dark web. It doesn't exist. And somebody's like, oh, that's like the thing about the devil where the worst, the, the, the greatest trick he ever played was convincing the world he didn't exist. And I said, well, you know, the dark web is just servers and information that is not searchable. Like we, it's not easy for us to find. So you have to know where this information is and go find it. You can't Google it and find like, like, Hey, where's a dark website? Cause they're, 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 you have to get to them the same way that you get to everything else on the internet, but there's a lot of data out there. So the things that really help protect you from the technology side we offer, and, and lots of uh, security companies offer a thing that we call MDR, which is managed detection and response, right? So that is a entry level. It's sort of uh, the new antivirus. Everybody, you know, no one exists without antivirus these days. The next step up is replacing your antivirus with MDR. And this is sort of like a live antivirus that when, when something is detected, somebody is alerted, there's an analyst somewhere looking at things, deciding that it's real, and there's some amount of response that is affected right away so that uh, we're not waiting to sort of, you know, uh, keep the bad guys at bay. Beyond that, yes, you know, the password complexity. I, I keep saying that I think we're not too far away from being in a little bit of a, a password-less world. There's going to be better authentication. We're already seeing some of that these days when you go to log in, multi, uh, almost every attack that we've seen where large amounts of money have been transferred to someone that they shouldn't have been transferred to could have been avoided with multi-factor authentication. I'm a huge fan of multi-factor authentication. You go to log into something and it sends you a text message and says, give me the number that I just texted you or give me the number off the app. If the bad guys get your credentials and then they go to log into your email, but when you log into your email from a new device, it sends something to your phone and the bad guy doesn't have your phone, well, now he's not going to be able to log in as you. So, so we were able, and we'll get an alert that says, hey, someone has your username and password. Hey, Carrie, did you just try to log in from... Romania. <laughs> so we're, we're geolocating where those people are, you know, and in the future it'll, it, it'll get even better, right? It's like, Hey, you're trying to log in from somewhere, but we know that your phone is, is in Tequesta right in Florida. You know, that usually happens uh, on my Netflix account when my daughter goes on a ski trip or something like that. I'll get somebody just logged in in your Netflix account from Steamboat or uh, something. Exactly. Not only that, but what, I, I want to uh, share one story, and then I want to turn the conversation to you. 
and, and your life story. But the story that I want to share kind of revolves around social media, because my mother, who lives in Iowa and is in her 70s, is on Facebook, like all 70-year-old people. And about a month ago, I get a text from uh, my brother, and my brother says, are you in jail? And I said, no. And he said, good, call mom. And I'm like, okay. So I call my mother and uh, I said, hey, mom, what's going on? She said, oh my God, it's, it's, is it really you? And I said, yeah, why? She said, I got a call this morning and they said that you were in an accident and that you'd been arrested and you were in the hospital and you could only talk for a few seconds. And I thought I heard your voice and that you needed me to send you some money to pay the bail so that you wouldn't have to go to jail. And I said, so why didn't you call me? Well, because you said that uh, you, they said that you couldn't talk, that uh, you weren't available. And I said, so you just bought into this whole story? And she's like, yeah, I never thought anything about it. And I was trying to figure out where I was going to send the money. And I had my Discover card out. And I'm so glad you called, honey. And I'm thinking to myself, all she had to do was make a simple phone call. Her husband is telling her, it's a scam. It's a scam. Don't send any money. Don't send any money. My brother's telling her, it's a scam. It's a scam. Don't send any money. And if he hadn't have texted me and said, call your mother, she probably would have sent him the money because she thought there was something wrong with me. I understand how all of people fall for this stuff. It just boggles my mind, but they do fall for this stuff. Absolutely. You know, no. my, my, my mom's pretty good at this Yep. and they called her with the thing that, Hey, you haven't paid your power bill. And they knew more or less how much her power bill was. And she was like, what? She was like, I almost fell for it. Yep. I, I hear you. You said quick story. I got yeah, a quick story please. that I, I got to tell. Please. And that is one of these, one of these folks that transferred money. The, the way got, this was a company that was, I don't, I don't want to talk about, you know, definitely who they were or what business they were in, but let's say they were, they were ramping up some operations and they had some big dollars that they were transferring back and forth. And the lady gets a call from her attorney and the attorney says, Hey, I just wanted to let you know that I don't have to do these wire transfers for you anymore. And she goes, what wire transfer? And he goes, I got uh, another request from you about transferring and it was about $3 million and, and I don't have to do these for you anymore. Remember we got that account set up, you're set up with the bank. I don't have to do them for you anymore. And she goes, I did not send that. And they look at it and it was an official request from her, from her email and everything looked completely legit. The attorney had no reason to question it, but uh, she goes, I did not send you that. And then there's a pause and then he says, what about the 2.3 million from last week? I can only imagine. Gone. Yeah. Gone. Can, can only imagine. A week later, you know, as previous to that, they had, they had made some big equipment purchases and all kinds of purchases. They had, they had gotten funding for many, you know, many millions of dollars, but 2.3 million disappeared. Yeah. We, we have to have a verbal authorization Absolutely. anytime we send a wire transfer. And if we don't, and I send it out or somebody on my staff sends it out, we're on the hook. Yeah. Yeah. And then you need somebody to come in and make sure that they're out, right? Make sure that they're out of the system. Yeah. 
Rory, th that's a great story and some great things that we can all take to heart to be aware of. I want to uh, change the conversation a little bit now. We're sitting in South Florida. I call this podcast Business in Paradise because I was given the opportunity to move to Palm Beach County 15 years ago from Chicago. I've built a beautiful life here. I've raised my daughter here. My wife loves it here. We're sitting here with the sunshine, and I'm thinking about my friends up north that just got snow for 18 straight hours the other day. And we're also less than uh, half a mile from the beach. There's so many things that we can do down here in South Florida. Tell me how you got here and what it's like to you to be able to live in what I call paradise. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's wonderful. And we did have winter. It was like, it was about 24 hours, right? We had our, we had our late winter at the beginning of February. It was awesome. It got into the, I think high thirties It did, and uh, it was fantastic. And now the sun's back out. I actually went to a, a breakfast meeting this morning and I walked in and it was winter and I walked out and the summer was back. Wow. <laughs> so it's fantastic. I ended up here. Uh, my family came from Cuba. My father was from Havana. He worked for uh, for Batista, the the government that was there pre Castro, and so when Castro took over, he and he and his buddies sort of got rounded up and uh, and thrown into brig. My dad got out of Cuba through Ecuador. He had told my mom, you know, the the government's going down. I'll, I'll see you in Miami. They were married in Cuba, so uh, so she took off and uh, came to Miami, and and he met up with her later. At one point they heard, he, he didn't speak the language and my dad did not have a, a lot of marketable skills, uh, which is probably how I became an entrepreneur because he was a bit of an entrepreneur. But uh, at one point he heard, they heard there were jobs in New York City. So they went to New York City and I was born in Brooklyn. I think I was, I was, oh, maybe nine or 10 when, uh, when we moved back here, my mom's side of the family they came from a, from a slightly different area of, uh, of Cuba. They had all been in the sugar business. They were working out in Clueston for some of the sugar mill and sugar refineries and lived in West Palm Beach. Uh, having spent some time in Miami, my mom wasn't crazy about Miami. So uh, she talked my dad into settling in here where, where she had family. We've been in West Palm Beach uh, for a long, long time. I got to go to school at University of Central Florida. So when I say I lived outside of the area for a little while, it was just a short while. I've kind of been in in, in well, Palm Beach County generally my whole life. And uh, I live just north of the, the Palm Beach County line now, north of where we are just now. And so you did you go to high school in West Palm Beach also? I did. I went to North Shore High School. Nice shout out for North Shore High School. Yeah, no longer there. Yeah. Apparently they weren't uh, delivering a quality product, so that'd be shut down. <laughs> well, you know, if 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 it's a subpar school, sometimes it delivers a lot of entrepreneurs, uh, <laughs> as you just described. So what did your dad end up doing? What kind of business did he end up going into? After working on the docks in New Jersey and uh, learning Italian because he was the only non-Italian working there. When we came down here, he um, he took over a, a BP station, so a gas station. He ended up with two gas stations, and then at one point he had a truck stop. When he when he had the truck stop, he started working with some guys who had 
dump trucks and he ended up owning a couple of dump trucks and then he he put a sandwich shop in the dump truck so he was so he was selling sandwiches to the guys and and they'd place orders and he'd have their lunch ready in the next morning you know and he just sort of he, he was a guy who always you know looked for the lemon you know if he had lemons he was going to make lemonade <laughs> that's a fantastic story do you have siblings no 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 okay just me you grew up down here so you stayed down here tell me a little bit about your family now Sure. My wife is uh, uh, just retired from teaching, although not really. She's one of those people who can't retire. She taught for many years. She taught at Palm Beach County Schools. She taught at Palm Beach Day Academy. She taught at the Pine School in Hope Sound and then retired right around the time the pandemic came. You know, we we had some ideas that there were some things we were going to do. I could do a lot of my job from anywhere. So uh, we were going to travel around and then suddenly nobody's traveling, no one's doing anything. So, uh, so she started a business doing some life coaching for uh, young people and, uh, and some tutoring and sort of in the, in the areas that, that she's always worked with. What did she teach? Uh, she was a special ed teacher. Okay. She was a learning specialist. Uh, she sort of worked with when kids were struggling in general they sort of went to her and she helped them to do well in their other classes. At one school, for example, uh, everybody had to take a foreign language, but if you were struggling, uh, they were called, uh, well, you know, there was an NFL option, which was no foreign language. (laughs) They went to see her instead of taking a foreign language and she helped them, uh, you know, study tricks and, and worked with the other teachers and said, Hey, you know, these, these students, uh, you know, need some special services. Let's, uh, sometimes uh, it's as simple as a, a test freaks you out. What are we trying to find out? We're trying to see if this child learned the material. So sometimes she would read a test to them, help them to understand, you know, some things that I always told my daughter of like, Hey, why are you in this class? You need to get a passing grade. So the first thing you have to do is figure out what's going to get me a passing grade. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's not as simple as, well, the instructor said, if I do all these things, I get a passing grade. That's not always the case. Yeah. Right. Sometimes you, you can read the teacher, you understand how to work in those parameters and, and not everybody figures that out. So I think a lot of what she does is, is just getting, kids to to understand how to get through high school (laughs) so you have a daughter yes okay that came out any other children no just one daughter okay and where is she now she is at florida gulf coast university okay and she's is she an undergrad there yes she's she's a freshman she just started oh wow okay she started in the middle of the the whole thing (laughs) i've got a i've got a junior in college right now my daughter sarah is 21 and she goes to Colorado college. So she's right by the ski slopes. It's in Colorado Springs. It's a small liberal arts college. Okay. It's not one of the big state universities, but I feel like these kids are getting cheated in some ways for their college experience. Of course, all of us are getting cheated because we're in the middle of a great pandemic. So you got to make lemons or lemonade, as you were just saying, out of lemons, you can't do the same things that we did when we were going to school. You can't have the, supposedly, you can't have the big parties. You yeah, you can't do the social things or fraternities or sorority things. But let me ask you this. You're, you mentioned your wife is um, a very busy person. You're a very busy entrepreneur. If there wasn't a pandemic going on and you were doing the things that you thought you were going to be doing, 
what do you guys like to do? What do we like? Well, it, it's it's super interesting that you mentioned you mentioned Steamboat Springs before. Yes. We used to have a place in Steamboat Springs. About eight years. We sold it in 2013. I kind of wish maybe we, we hadn't sold it. My wife's not a big skier, but she loves Steamboat Springs. If I said we should move to Steamboat Springs, we'd probably have the house packed by the time I got home. We did want to spend some time in the mountains. I've made a lot of great uh, friends and contacts in, in Tulsa. We thought maybe we'd spend a little bit more time there. My parents are still here in West Palm Beach, and they're both you know, in their mid to late 80s. So that's probably keeping me here a little bit. I got I to gotta go by and check on them and you know, make sure neither one clobbered the other one and you know, they're still alive another week. She'll probably hear this and, and, and say, you had to say that, didn't you? And we'll I'm make like, sure well, she hears it. I'll be, that, se- I'll be sending it to her. That is why I come by every Friday to make sure one of you didn't clobber the other one and, and you're still alive. You know, we, we definitely enjoy spending time on the water, on the beach. That's all stuff we do here. But, you know, we like getting out of Florida. You know, we like going because while we've enjoyed things like the islands, I had a friend, Greg, who always, you know, loved to state the obvious. And, and anytime... He, We'd see him at a beach somewhere or something. He'd go, it looks just like Florida. So we love getting out of Florida, getting up in the mountains, getting to where it's cooler. I had a business partner that retired back in 2018, and he has a place up in upstate New York, often invites us to come visit. We were planning on doing that before everybody said, New York's not, don't come to New York. (laughs) New York doesn't want any visitors. No, I actually usually spend almost the entire summer in uh, New York City. This summer, I decided to stay here in Florida for exactly the reason you identified. There was nothing. People were not doing anything, from what I understand. And not only that, but they wanted, if I'd gone, I would have had to quarantine at the time for 14 days before I could even do anything. Sure. We used to spend the month of July in Steamboat Springs. Nice. You know, it was a great town to go skiing, but it was, it was a great, great summertime town. You know, just just loved it out there. Well, so I would imagine like any entrepreneur that's built a really successful business, that one of the challenges that you've had over the years has been kind of creating a balance between how much you're going to work and how hard you're going to push and uh, how much time you're going to be able to take off and do things with your family or do things for personal enrichment. How do you come up with your work-life balance and, and what's, what's, what's that look like for you? So I, I think there was a time when, you know, I, I used to spend a lot of time at the office. I'd spend a lot of time, you know, out doing things, traveling for, for business, whether it was going to meet with the right vendors, traveling to a conference to learn everything there was to learn, you know, about the business. As we've gotten bigger, I've definitely learned to delegate. I think one difference, uh, again, my my uh, now retired business partner, Bob, we decided a long time ago that we were going to build a business instead of just building jobs for ourselves. It doesn't mean that there wasn't a lot of work to be done. They'll tell you there was a time when we were like, hey, we're we're severely underpaid, but we're we're hiring the right people. I tell that to folks all the time. Uh, I speak to some entrepreneurs uh, once or twice a year. I always say, you know, don't be afraid to pay others more than you pay yourself. Eventually, you, you're going to build the business and it's going to come back to you. You got to surround yourself with, with the right people 
the right talent and be smart on that side. You gave a good piece of advice, I think, to uh, new entrepreneurs, which was the whole idea of delegating and having somebody come into your organization that is maybe really good at either all of the things that you don't like to do (laughs) or that you're not good at. And many times as entrepreneurs, we want to figure out what our weaknesses are and work on our weaknesses when in reality, we should be working on our strengths and hiring people to do the things that we're weak at. And you often get way more leverage uh, from doing some of those kinds of things. If you were talking to somebody like your daughter, who's a young person, who's maybe coming out of school, and they're thinking about uh, starting a business, whether it's an IT or security or in any other type of business, what are some things that you would tell those people about how to go about making sure that you've got your ducks in a row and that you're starting off on the right foot? I, I think every entrepreneur needs a really good grasp on accounting. You don't have to be an accountant, but you have to understand accounting. I've, I've, I've had friends. I've, I've tried to, uh, to help from some friends and, and some others, and, and they don't always get it. Uh, these are the, the folks who they, they see a bunch of money in the bank, and they're like, great. That must be my money, and I can spend it. I've tried to mentor some folks around having a really good grasp on accounting. I've got some great people. I've got a great accounting team that that works for us. And sometimes they go, hey, you don't need us. You seem to have all this. And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> I, I understand it really well these days. But trust me, I need you guys. You, you got to do what you're doing. Yeah, if you don't understand accounts receivable and accounts payable, you don't know what your inventory is going to need to look like in the future and what your cash flow is going to be. Sure. And you're in a growing business. And the old expression is that growth burns cash. Sure. You can really create some problems for your, your, your young company. I think that's great advice, Rory. So there's, so there's, so there's account, you know, accounting, know your accounting. I've talked to many of entrepreneurs that if I had it to do over again, well, I would spend a lot, I'd put a lot more focus on, on understanding the numbers and then culture, right? Is, is culture is huge. You know, when hiring, you got to hire the right people. Don't be afraid to hire people smarter than you are and pay them more money than you're paying themselves, but make sure they're a good cultural fit. That is something that always, you know, brings people down when they don't have the right culture. When you're hiring, aside from just interviewing and trying to get to know a person, do you have any tools that you use or personality profiles that you use to uh, try to determine if that person's going to be a fit? We have. If you've ever used any of those, and I'm, I'm not sure what they're what they're called. I don't remember the name, but um, but you know they'll once once upon a time we had we had two folks who we really liked. We hired a company who who came in and profiled them, and then we they gave us a test to uh, give to everybody who came in. And they were weird, wacky questions that you would not think were going to get you the results that you were looking for. It had a lot more to do with if you were going to watch this TV show or this TV show, which one would you pick? Just things that were a little bit off the wall. And at the end of the day, we gave this test to 30 people and and the test said, you should hire these two. And we hired those two and they were exactly like the two that we wanted to hire more people like. And it's amazing how that stuff works. And uh, we're big fans. Good. Rory, one other thing that I would ask, and for me personally, I went through a time when I started my business 
when I was looking at myself and asking myself, what the hell did you do? Because it was so hard. I was getting started. I was way undercapitalized. The uh, things were moving much slower than I ever imagined uh, that they could in terms of getting off the ground. I'd spent a bunch of money in Chicago building out this beautiful office that I was going to move into. And my wife and I, and I've told this story before, but my wife and I at one point were literally going to the change jar on the top of my dresser to buy groceries. And I was supposedly this incredibly successful financial advisor, but I had totally undercapitalized for this business that I was going to build. That was my darkest day as an entrepreneur. Do you have a story that even comes remotely close to that? I think we've all had times when, you know, and, and, and being undercapitalized is, is a big, big problem. You can't not pay your people. And sometimes, you know, there's times when we've all been very worried about when's, you know, that, that next payroll is coming. If it's, if it's every two weeks or, you know, semi-monthly, whenever it is, the reality is you have to, you have to look out for that way in advance and, and you've got to make the tough decisions. You know, if, if you've got a business that is, is a good business that is going to be profitable, you've got to figure that out. You know, you got to make sure you're, you're paying people properly and you have to make sure that you've got the right folks on board. There have been times when, you know, we've had, we've had folks working for us who just had to go, but, but, you know, they've been with us a long time. You got to make those tough decisions. And the reality is that, that when you part ways, everybody ends up in a better place. They end up in a better place. You end up in a better place. And, and the rest of the people in the office look at you and say, what took you so long? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So it's a hard decision. But once you pull that trigger, it's like this huge sense of relief was off everybody's shoulders. Yeah. You know, I, I didn't want to interrupt, but but what the first thing you asked me was about that work-life balance. Yes. And the answer that I never gave and I, and I meant to give you was that today I feel like I'm working all the time, but I'm also playing all the time. To me, it's just sort of become this blend where, you know, I, I wake up in the morning and the first thing I'm doing is, you know, I've, I've made it a point not to look at my phone previous to uh, uh, using the restroom and getting ready for the day. Uh, I heard I heard somebody say, you know, the, the question is, uh, I'm not going to get it right, so I'm not going to go there. But it was, if you're not looking at your phone first thing in the morning, then, then you're probably looking at it while using the restroom. And I've made it a point that it's not the first thing that I look at. But, uh, but I tend to do work the minute that I get up, knock some things out of the way. And then, uh, and then I look at my calendar and when I've got, I try to put everything on a calendar, the things that I've got to get done that day. And when I have some time in between, you know, that, that turns into my time. So it is just a blend of, of getting all the work that needs to be done, done, but uh, not being afraid to take some personal time, you know, when needed. And I think that's that's created a good balance for me. Wow. Rory, thank you so much. This has been a great uh, interview with Rory Sanchez, who's the CEO of True Digital Security, based right here in West Palm Beach and also in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We've learned a lot about what to look out for in uh, cybersecurity and uh, some great insight into who you are as a person. 
Rory, thank you so much for being on the Business in Paradise podcast. Appreciate the advice. Thank you for listening to the Business in Paradise Palm Beach podcast with Carrie Stamp, founder of Carrie Stamp and Company, Principal Wealth Advisors. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of the Commonwealth Financial Network. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Carrie Stamp and Company is located at 110 Bridge Road, Tequesta, Florida, 33469. Securities and advisory services offered through Commonwealth Financial Network member FINRA SIPC, a registered investment advisor.